Good evening, everyone. Glad to be back here again this evening for the message, Jesus on the Antichrist, or Jesus on Religious Tradition Part 2. Part 1 was two nights ago. We, uh, we talked about the, uh, the Bible Sabbath and uh, just what the Bible has to say about, about the Sabbath. Uh, tonight we're going to talk about the, the change of the Sabbath as well as uh, the Antichrist and who that is and uh, his, his attempt to change the Sabbath. Uh, so before we get in that, into that though, I just want to uh, say a word of prayer as our song has uh, suggested. Take it to the Lord, of pr Lord in prayer. And I'm so thankful that we have that privilege that the Lord gives us to, to pray together. So let's uh, bow our heads and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, what a privilege that we have. Lord, we don't need technology to reach you. We don't need phones, emails, snail mail. Lord, we don't need any of that. We just can bow our heads and pray. We can pray anywhere. And now, Lord, we're praying boldly before your throne with gladness this evening because we are together, we're worshiping, and we get an opportunity to study your word together. Lord, we have the, the freedom to do that. We're, many years ago, they didn't have that freedom. And that, uh, that will change again sometime in the near future. That we may not have the opportunity to worship as freely as we do today. And so, Lord, as we worship together this evening through the study of your word, we ask that the Holy Spirit would come and be our teacher that you would touch each of our hearts. Speak through me. Give me clear speech to, uh, to give the message that you have for each of us. Lord, I'm just a man. I'm a sinner. But I'm saved by a wonderful Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For centuries, scientists believed that the Earth was the stationary center of the universe and everything, including the sun and stars, orbited around it. It was a free-thinking Polish man named Copernicus who determined that the Earth was itself in motion and revolved around the sun. Consider the story of the spider. Aristotle classified the spider as an insect, insects are known to have six legs. For, so for centuries, no one questioned the great Aristotle, and it was just commonly assumed that spiders were insects and therefore had six legs. It was Jean-Baptiste Lamarck who presented the classification of the spider as an arachnid having eight legs. Merely because someone is believed for centuries, something is believed for centuries, it doesn't make it true. Could it be that a tradition like one of these long-held ideas has slipped into the Christian church? Is it possible that many have accepted falsehood in the place of truth and very few people today question it? 
Is it possible that today, just as in Christ's time, that His church could be setting aside a commandment of God to follow a tradition of man instead? A tradition so old that almost no one knows how it started. A tradition nearly all Christians accept, thinking they are following God's law, when in fact they are following something completely of human origin. The book of Revelation predicts that Satan would attempt to mislead the Christian church. Revelation 12 verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Satan is a deceiver. His goal is to overthrow God's throne. But what is the foundation of any government? Where does its authority lie? It lies in its ability to make laws. So if your subjects refuse to follow your laws, they're really refusing to be your subjects. So Satan has attacked God's law. He has brought that battle to this earth. That battle has been over the law of God. And anyone who says that the law of God has been done away with will be actu is actually siding with the devil in his argument that we don't need a law to be good because it's God who makes us good. He is only partially correct here. The devil mixes truth with error in just about ev er uh, everything that he does. And he is correct in saying that it is God who makes us good and that the law does not make us good. But to say we don't need the law at all and to try and, and to try to uh, uh, to try to say that we, we don't we, we don't need God's law in order to be to be good, he's correct, but to try and say that we don't need it at all, he's, he's wrong and it's unbiblical because we've seen in the last two nights uh, that the law, it points out our need for a savior. If we didn't have the law, we would not need a savior. You take out the law, then you don't have anything to point out sin. If you don't have anything to point out sin, then you don't need grace. If you don't need grace, you don't need Jesus. And we saw that a few nights ago. Satan has been craftily working throughout the ages to get mankind to break God's law. He may try to get us to break God's law, but he can't just come up and say, who wants to be a murderer or who wants to be a liar? He has to be a little more deceiving, a little more sneaky about it. And although there may be some who would be willing to take him up on some of those things, when it comes to Christians and the Christian world, we would not buy into that. He has, a, he has a deception for Christians as well. He knows that there are nine commandments that make logical sense to all Christians. There is, only, there is one that just really doesn't make logical sense in our own minds. And therefore is easy to justify in breaking it. There is one that is that the devil can get most, most of the Christian world to break for various reasons. Although there may be... Uh, let me really look at these. Bad, bad reasons to sin. Okay, so you, there, there are some who would try to justify breaking the fourth commandment. And here are some of the things. 
that is the day that my kids have their sports games on, and so we must, uh, we, we, we can't worship on the Sabbath. Or that's our family day. Uh, here's, some, here's another one. My, I'm just so tired from my work week, I just need some sleep. That's the day that I sleep in, etc. A few more would be, I, I need to work on that day, and, or I will lose my job and uh, won't be able to provide for my family. Another one is, that is the day that I, I get things done, like grocery shopping, cleaning the house, doing yard work, and other things around the house. And then the last one, I'm the only one that can do my job at work, and so no one can fill in for me. Look at these commandments, the, the commandments though, and figure out which one is missing. Pretty easy. No other gods before him. No worship of graven images. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Honor your parents. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't covet. Which one is missing? The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath. The one that says remember is the one that is forgotten. Because it does not logically make sense to us. All of these make sense to, to the Christian. I should not have any gods other than God. I should not worship any graven images. I should not take his name in vain. I need to honor my parents. I need to make sure that I don't murder or commit adultery. You know, I, I shouldn't lie and steal, and I shouldn't covet. All of those make sense. But when it comes to the Sabbath, that's the one that's the most easy to justify away. Because why can't I worship on another day? I can do the exact same thing on one day as I do on the next when it comes to worshiping. I can worship God any day. I can rest. Let's, why can't it just be one and seven? And so the devil deceives us into thinking that. Right in the heart of God's law is the Sabbath. All it takes is breaking one of these and we have broken them all. And then that puts us under the law because we have broken it and we don't see a need to obey it. There are many criminals in jail because they didn't see a need to obey the laws of the land and the long arm of the law came down on them. They were under the law because they didn't see, it, you know, they just wanted to do what they wanted to do. What made sense to them in, at the time. When we put ourselves under Christ. We're truly surrendering ourselves to Him, and He causes us to want to obey Him. Then we truly see our sin for what it is, and it points us to a Savior who died for us. Trying to get out of keeping God's law is trying to save ourselves. That is a works-based religion, and when I surrender to Jesus and do what He wants me to do, that is not works, because surrender is not works. It is when I try to justify my sin that it becomes works. And because we are trying to do it our own way instead of God's way, that's be that is works. If we don't see the ugliness of our sin that we have in our heart, then that is a heart problem. Our heart begins to grow hard and cold towards our sin, and then Satan has us. The Sabbath commandment is the easiest one to catch us on. Satan doesn't need us to break the other nine, although he does get us to break those sometimes. All he has to do is get us to break the Sabbath commandment because that's the easiest one to catch us on.
But James 2 verse 10 says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. So all he has to do is get us to just break one, and it's just like he got us to break the whole thing, every single one. So isn't it logical that Satan, the great deceiver, would attack the Creator by challenging the symbol of creation, the Sabbath? There are honest-hearted Christians who read the Ten Commandments, written by God's own finger, and see the Fourth Commandment in Exodus Chapter 20, starting in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. They're confused. The church that they're attending keeps Sunday, the first day, not the seventh day Sabbath. Many honest Christians read in Luke 4.16 that Jesus, as His custom was, went to the church on the, Sabbath, on the seventh day Sabbath. Then they read that Christ in Matthew 24, verse 20, uh, tells His disciples that they would be keeping the Sabbath 40 years after the cross. They read in Acts chapter 13, verse 42 through 40, 44, that the Apostle Paul taught a whole city of Gentiles to keep the seventh-day Sabbath. They read in Revelation 1, verse 10, that the Lord has a day. And they read in Luke 6, verse 5, that the Sabbath is the Lord's day. They read the same thing in Mark 2, 27 and 28. And in Matthew 12, verse 8, we covered these last time. They're confused and ask, who changed the Bible Sabbath then? Certainly God didn't, because the Bible says in Malachi 3, verse 6, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Then they look at the Bible and they see that Jesus didn't change the Sabbath because the Bible says in Hebrews 13 verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God did not change the Sabbath. Jesus couldn't, uh, would not change the Sabbath. The disciples could not change the Sabbath. Acts 5 verse 29, but Peter and the, and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The question then is, if God didn't change the Sabbath, if Jesus wouldn't change the Sabbath, and if the disciples couldn't change the Sabbath, then who did it? Well, in the book of Revelation, chapter 13, we read about a beast that rises up out of the sea. This chapter is where we read about the mark of the beast and 666. But notice how the beast is described. Revelation 13, verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. A beast in the Bible can be a political or religious power or kingdom. This power that rises up is a blasphemous power. It claims rights and powers that only God has. It continues, now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Who is the dragon? Satan imbues this power with great authority, so the whole world listens to it, to uh, 
listens to it declare its own laws in place of God's laws. And the Sabbath becomes a particular object of attack. To understand this beast, we, got, we have to go back to the book of Daniel in the seventh chapter. Here we have the same imagery in Revelation 13. The lion, the bear, the leopard, and the dragon. What's interesting is that it lists them in a reverse order. You'll notice. And that's because of when the prophet wrote it. This is a side piece of information for you. When the prophet wrote the book of Daniel, he wrote from his perspective, which was starting in Babylon and going down. Whereas when John wrote it, he started from his perspective, from going the opposite direction, looking back. But Daniel 7, it gives us a key to unlock Revelation 13 and understand the whole subject of the mark of the beast and 666. We read in, in Daniel 7, starting in verse 2, Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four beasts came up from the sea, each, from, each different from the other. So four beasts arise from the sea. They are different from each other. Notice this key to interpret Bible prophecy right here in verse 17. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. Then he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth. And so Daniel sees four beasts that represent four kingdoms. These four world-ruling kingdoms, which start in Daniel's day, take us down the stream of time. And if you were with us earlier, then you will remember we saw four kingdoms in Daniel chapter 2. Those medals in the image, they represented Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and divided Rome. The vision of the beast adds more information to the vision in Daniel 2. It brings to light a power that would exist during the time of divided Rome and would arise and attempt to change God's law. Let's look at how the Bible predicts what would happen and see clearly how history confirms what actually happened. Now on the first beast here, Daniel 7 verse 4, the first beast was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given it. The, the first beast was like a lion with eagle's wings. When the archaeologists were digging up in Iraq near the site of ancient Babylon, they found engravings on the wall of a lion with eagle's wings. In the ancient world, people knew that Babylon was represented as a lion. And so you, you might think, well, why do, why do, you know, we've never, this is kind of new. Why do beasts have to represent kingdoms? But it's actually not new. Uh, we, we use animals even today to represent kingdoms. Uh, what does the eagle represent? America, right? So uh, it, it's not, it's nothing new. And you know, there, there are other animals that represent other kingdoms as, as well. But uh, it says, then another nation was to rise. Babylon would not rule the world forever. 7 verse 5, and suddenly another beast, 
a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side. And it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said, they said thus to it, Arise and devour much flesh. Notice that the second empire is like a bear that raises itself up on one side. So the combined kingdoms of Media and Persia overthrew Babylon. The bear of Medo-Persia raising itself up on one side represented the Persians overthrowing first Babylon, then dominating the, uh, the Medes. So what does the bear have in its mouth, though? It has three ribs. When Medo-Persia conquered the world, it first conquered Babylon. Then it went northward and conquered Lydia. Then southward and conquered Egypt. These three nations, Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt, represent the three ribs. So you see how accurate Bible prophecy is. It's absolutely fantastic. The third empire rises. Verse 6, After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. And so the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. Was this third, what was the th that third nation? It was Babylon, Medo-Persia, and then what? Greece, that's right. And so what do you know about Greece? Who was the prominent Greek leader? Alexander the Great. He was just over 30 years old when he conquered the entire world, but he, remember he couldn't conquer his own desire for alcohol. He died from alcohol poisoning. Greece conquered the world quickly as it rep was represented by the leopard with wings. Why the four heads? Notice once again how perfectly these beasts of Daniel line up with the four major world empires of history. Alexander the Great died when he was 33 years old. Unlike most kingdoms, Alexander did not have a son to take his throne. Instead, his four generals divided up the Greek empire and each took a portion to rule over. The Bible describes a fourth empire. Verse 7. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It, was huge, it had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. It's very clear that the fourth beast, with iron teeth represents the iron kingdom of Rome. This period takes us to the time of Christ. Rome ruled the world in the days of Jesus and Christianity grew up in the Roman Empire. The Bible describes the collapse of the Roman Empire. Clearly the symbolism of, toe, of toes of the image and the horns of the first fourth beast. The image in Daniel 2 had feet and toes of iron and clay representing Europe. Ten toes, just like the beast has ten horns. Remember our clue about iron, iron and clay from Daniel 2 that we talked about? Some of you may have missed it. Iron represents what? What does iron represent? Okay, so just a little louder so the people who didn't say it can be on the same page. <laughs> what does iron represent? Rome, okay. All right, and then clay represented what? 
the church. That's right. Clay represented the church. We saw that from the Bible. And after they mixed together, it become, the clay became dirty. When it talks about miry clay in Daniel chapter 2.41. And so when the church and the state, when they mix together, the church becomes dirty. Daniel gives us more details about this. And the fourth beast here has ten horns. Rome was divided into ten main divisions. During the time of uh, the barbarian tribe, the bar barbarian tribes were overrunning Europe, religious apostasy would enter the church and there would be conflict over worship and the Sabbath would be changed. Daniel 7 verse 8 says, I was considering the horns and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them. In Europe, among these ten horns, there was another power that rises. It goes on, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there is, in this horn, were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. The Bible says that this little horn arose and was different from all of the rest. The Bible gives us evidence to clearly identify this power. First, the little horn comes up among the, the first ten horns, and if the ten horns are divisions of Rome, then this little horn has to come in Western Europe. It comes up in Western Europe. And so this little horn, it doesn't come in Asia. It doesn't come in Africa or North or South America. Its roots are in European soil. Secondly, the beast says that this little horn would arise after the ten horns. And so it doesn't come up in the days of Babylon. It doesn't come up in the days of Medo-Persia or Greece. It doesn't even come up in the days of Rome. It comes up after the fall of the Roman Empire when it is divided. Its power rises out of Rome in the early centuries when it was divided. The Bible also says that this little horn has eyes like the eyes of a man. Eyes represent intelligence, and, but it is man's wisdom and not God's. In a, it is a human religious system based on man's teachings which would rise out of Rome. Notice what the Bible says in Daniel 7.24. There, and, and it is diverse and different from all of the rest. Daniel 7, 24, he shall be different from the first ones. This one is different. It is not primarily a political power. It is a religious power. Part of the reason that we know that is because the feet of iron and clay, when they're mixed together, remember the clay represented the church and the, and the, uh, the iron represented the state. And so this is not just a political power. It is a religio-political power. And they came together. What would this power do? Well, it would attempt to change the very law of God. Friends, can we change God's word at all? Can we change God's law? No. Notice what the Bible says in Daniel 7, 25. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. Hmm. So this power thought it could change God's laws. There's only one law that has to do with time. 
If you think back, look at the Ten Commandments. Which is the only law that has to do with time? The Fourth Commandment. That's correct. That's the only one that has to do with time. This power would attempt to change the very law of God. This is obviously speaking about divine laws. It's not speaking about something different like a tax law or political laws. Daniel 8.12 tells us that the little horn power would cast truth to the ground. He did all this and prospered. So coming out of the Roman, Roman Empire, a religious power would rise. It would be small at first, but it would become extremely powerful. It would claim to, that it had the authority to change the very law of God. How did the, cha did the change from the Sabbath to Sunday actually occur? And what happened historically? Well, the change of the Sabbath occurred gradually over a period of time. It resulted in a var variety of social and religious factors. Dr. John Eady helps us to understand the roots of this change in his Bible Encyclopedia, page 561. He says this, Sabbath, Hebrew word signifying rest. Sunday was a name given by the heathens to the first day of the week because it was the day on which they worshipped the sun. Sun worship was common in Egypt and Babylon, Persia, and Rome. And when you come to the 4th century, the, the Roman Emperor Constantine had str strong devotion to worship, to the worship of the sun, even putting the sun god on coins that he minted. He also had a big problem. Rome was falling apart and Constantine desired to unite his empire. How could Constantine unite his empire? Well, Constantine came up with what he thought was a brilliant idea. Why not unite the empire around Sunday worship? Here's the emperor's decree in AD 31. On the venerable day of the sun, let the magistrates and people residing in cities rest, and let all the shops be closed. Constantine calls Sunday the venerable day of the sun. He declares all workshops be closed. In an attempt to unite the empire, Constantine issued the first Sunday law. In the days of Constantine, church and state united in an attempt to Christianize the pagans and unite the empire. The Roman government and the Roman church united just as we were told in Daniel chapter 2, or hinted at in Daniel 2, and now we're, we're seeing it again in Daniel 7, and history has confirmed it. Didn't we see, so we, we saw this already. This is nothing new to us. This is just expanding on what we have already seen. But here's an amazing statement that's really incredible here. In, the, uh, in March 1994, the Catholic world, page 809, it says, The sun was a foremost God with, with heathen, uh, heathendom. There is, in truth, something royal, kingly about the sun, making it a fit emblem of Jesus, the son of justice. Hence, the church in these countries would seem to have said, keep that old pagan name, it shall remain consecrated, sanctified. And thus the pagan Sunday dedicated to Balder, became the Christian Sunday sacred to Jesus. Do you see how it happened? 
Do you see how Sunday came into the church? Christians in escape of persecution had for several hundred years been speaking to distinguish themselves from the Jews. The Romans didn't like the Jews, and so they wanted to separate themselves from the Jews because the Jews were being persecuted by Rome, and they didn't want to be persecuted with Rome. So they, had to, they were trying to distinguish themselves as different because they worshipped on the same day. So Sunday gradually became emphasized because of Christian, uh, or sorry, of Christ's resurrection, and gradually church leaders to make the pagan sun worshipers more comfortable. St they started keeping Sunday in place of the Bible Sabbath. Constantine wanted to unite his empire, and Roman church leaders wanted to convert pagans. Sunday became the vehicle to accomplish both. And so the biblical Sabbath was changed by the Roman church and state. God didn't change it. The disciples didn't change it. Jesus didn't change it. The Catholic Church Council of Laodicea records the first prohibition of keeping the Bible Sabbath. The Roman Catholic bishops met there and look what happened. From the Council of Laodicea in 325. A.D. Christians shall not Judaize, that is, they shall not keep the Sabbath and be, uh, and be idle on the Sabbath, but the Lord's Day they shall especially honor, and as being Christians shall, if possible, do no work on that, if, however, they are found Judaizing, they shall be shut out from Christ." So here is a church council that unites with the Roman government under Constantine and says we are shifting the authority of, of Sabbath to Sunday. They will unite the empire and distance us from the Jews. In so doing, however, they were unconsciously fulfilling something in Daniel that Daniel predicted in Daniel 7.25 and shall think to change times and laws. Daniel 7.25 says that an earthly power growing up out of Rome would attempt to change God's law. God says, beware. Listen to the convert's uh, catechism. A Roman, it's a Roman Catholic uh, instructional guide. It correctly says regarding the change of the Sabbath. Here it is clear. It says, which day is the Sabbath day? Well, Saturday is the Sabbath day. Why do we observe Sunday instead of the Sabbath? Answer, because the Catholic Church transferred the solemnity from Saturday to Sunday. Well, let's go to the Catholic Encyclopedia. Uh, we're looking at volume 4, page 153 here. The, the Church, after changing the day of rest from the Jewish Sabbath of the seventh day of the week to the first, made the third... Con commandment referred to Sunday as the day to be kept holy as the Lord's day. And so the Catholic Encyclopedia states that the commandment regarding time had been changed by the church. By the way, some may have noticed that it refers to the third commandment and not the fourth. The Sabbath is the fourth commandment, so what is it talking about here? The Roman power in the Middle Ages also changed the law of God by removing the second commandment. What's the second commandment? Do you remember? That's right. Don't worship 
bow down before graven images. And so they, obviously that didn't fit with what they were teaching, so they, had, they took it out completely. But then they had a problem. They only had nine commandments. So what did they do? They made the tenth one and divided it into two. Thou shalt not covet uh, your neighbor's things, and thou shalt not covet uh, your neighbor. <laughs> your neighbor's wife, that's right. So they, they, they put it into, they, they divided that into two so they could have ten again. And if you, if you think that this is, well, you know, this isn't the way it is really anymore. Uh, when I lived in Washington State, I lived right in central Washington in Yamaha, and there was a Catholic archdiocese there. So it was a, a big Catholic church. The, the bishop was there. Actually, uh, there were two, two Jesuit bishops that were there in that area, which covered, you know, the whole state of, of uh, Washington and, and some. Uh, anyways, but uh, right outside they had a monument of the Ten Commandments. Which version do you think they had up there? They had theirs. It was not the one that you find in the Bible. It was theirs. And so they're not trying to hide it. They're very open with it. That's why it's in the Convert's Catechism there. You can find that for, you can see that for yourself. I have a copy of one somewhere where you can, you can see it for yourself. Carl Keating, though, one of the, the foremost Catholic lay scholars, he wrote a book as a challenge to Protestants, Catholicism and Fundamentalism, page 38. Fundamentalists meet for worship on Sunday, yet there is no evidence in the Bible that corporate worship was to be made on Sundays. Hmm. Interesting. The Jewish Sabbath, a day or a day of rest? What should it be? The Jewish Sabbath or a day of rest? Day of rest. Should it be a Jewish Sabbath or a Bible Sabbath? Bible Sabbath. All right, so the Jewish Sabbath or a day of rest was, of course, Saturday. It was the, the Catholic Church that decided Sunday should be the day of worship for Christians in honor of the resurrection. This Catholic author is reasoning that Protestants, with Protestants, and he says, if you want to go by the Bible, then you should keep the Bible Sabbath. But if you want to go by, uh, if you don't want to go by the Bible and you want to uh, back the church, the Catholic Church, they freely claim that the authority to change God's law as it sees fit. And so they changed that day. So you either back, uh, uh, either the Bible is your, your foundation or the church is your foundation. The Bible or tradition. I would rather follow God rather than men. What about you? You know, th this is a powerful argument, though. It's used by prominent Catholic scholars as late as... 1988. They, they've still been using it uh, here not too, not too long ago. And so the issue is much more than a matter of day, one day versus another. The issue is, what is your guide? Is it the Bible or is it tradition? The issue is, does any human church or human religious leader, for whatever reason or motive, have the authority to change God's law that was written with, the fing with his finger on tablets of stone? No. And so the issue is one of authority. Psalms 89 verse 30. My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. God says, my covenant I will not break. The word I spoke on Sinai and wrote 
with my finger, I will not change. It's a matter of authority. The issue is a matter of who is your master. Is it Jesus or the leaders of the church? What is the foundation of your faith? Is it the Bible or is it what man says? What is the basis of authority in spiritual matters? The church or, or God's will? To give up the Bible Sabbath, God or given by God as a sign of His creative authority, it does matter. I would much rather follow what God gave Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I would much rather follow what God gave Moses in the Ten Commandments. I would much rather follow the example of Jesus Himself. I would much rather follow the example of the disciples and of Paul, wouldn't you? God says the Sabbath is a great sign. It's a sign of our loyalty to Christ. It's a sign we believe He created our world. It's a sign that we want to follow all of His Word. It's a sign that we have entered into His rest. How many of you want to enter into His rest? Some have tried to say that only nine of the Ten Commandments are in the New Testament and therefore we only need to keep nine of the Ten Commandments. That's like saying, <laughs> so basically they're saying that the law was done away with, but then God gave us nine of them back in the New Testament. So that's like saying, um, I saw somebody post just recently that uh, down south that uh, they, they were transferring a, a flower or something like that into a plant into a pot and uh, that they bought at this, uh, the store. And uh, the pot that was at their home, the plant they got from the store, anyways, when they put it, went to put it in there, they didn't realize that there was a cotton mouth in there, a snake, a very poisonous snake, and it bit the finger. And they showed their finger, and it was, it was uh, blue. And it was <laughs> it just, you know, the first two sections of their, their index finger was, uh, was like black and blue there. It was very swollen. So that would be like saying, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry that happened to your finger. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to cut off all of your fingers, and then we're going to sew back on the other nine. That doesn't really make sense, does it? To do away with the law, but just because we have nine of them in the New Testament, then you know, that means we should keep nine of them and we don't have to keep the Sabbath. It, it really doesn't make much sense. You know, so <laughs> all ten of them are in there. They're in the New Testament as well. Uh, we've seen it all through the New Testament. The, the Sabbath is there. We're going to look at it in the book of Hebrews specifically right now because some have said that Jesus is our rest. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And so we need only to rest in Him. They say that we don't need to keep the Sabbath and they use Hebrews 4 to make their case. And so we're going to look at that here briefly. Here in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So here in verse 2, it is clear that Hebrews 4 are clearly talking about uh, the gospel and faith in it or the work of salvation in the merits of Jesus Christ. Okay, pointing that out. And then here in verse 3, For we who have believed do enter that rest. 
As he has said, so I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Here we see that believing in the gospel is what is meant by entering into his rest. Verse 4 and 5, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works and again in this place. They shall not enter my rest. What day is the seventh day? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I hate it when that happens. <laughs> when it's me, <laughs> not her. I hate it when, when that happens to me. Um, okay, so the seventh day. What day is the seventh day? It's the Sabbath, right? Okay, so it, it's talking about the Sabbath here. Uh, all right, continuing on, verse 6. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And so here is a hint of Sabbath keeping being used as more than just a memorial of creation, to creation, but also as a symbol of resting in the gospel rather than our own works. Verses 9 and 10, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Here is the punchline of the entire chapter and that that is entering into the Sabbath rest is a symbol and reminder that we have entered into that spiritual rest and we have ceased from laboring to save ourselves. The rest in Christ is uh, to save us. Those who enter into his rest are the ones who cease from their works as God did from his. When was this? Well, on the seventh day. And so Hebrews chapter 4 is talking about Sabbath keeping. And it's not talking about resting in Jesus and so we don't have to rest on the Sabbath. It's talking about resting in the gospel. And because we rest in the gospel... We rest on the Sabbath because we rest as God did from His works on the Sabbath. Amen? Hebrews 4 verse 6. Again, He designates a certain day. Today. When? Today. If you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. That's why it's in the heart of the last warning message to go out to the world, and it's a major part of the gospel. Here, we've seen it before, we've been studying this, the three angels' message. Revelation 14, 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Where does the everlasting gospel go to? It goes to everyone. Not just the Jews, not just the Christians. And what is the everlasting gospel? It's the message that follows. The message that follows this text here. It's a message that we've been studying here night after night. It's about 
Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. It's about surrendering our life to Jesus so he will defend us in the judgment. It's about the standard of the judgment being the law of God and how it points out our need for Jesus. It's about how important the Sabbath is to Jesus and his desire that we worship him on his day as a sign that he has saved us and our love and our commitment for him. So it says here, the everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, and then saying with a loud voice. And so what the following part is the gospel. And this is we've been breaking this down and pointing out the gospel in all of this. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him that made, or him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And so Part of the text is a direct quote from the Ten Commandments, from Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. It's the longest quote from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation, and it is, very, it is at the very center of Revelation as well. In other words, if you were to write out the, uh, the book of Revelation on one line all the, way, all the way down, and you were to fold that in half, the very center of it is this part of the text in Revelation 14. And again, it's the longest quote from the Old Testament in the book of Revelation. And it just happens to be a quote from the fourth commandment. That's why God in the last days of this earth's history, in Revelation 14 verse 12, God says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In the last days of earth's history, God will have a group of people who love Jesus. They love Him so much that they want to obey Him. It's more than a matter of days. In the Garden of Eden, Satan said to Eve, What difference does a tree make? All trees are alike. And Eve lost Eden because she believed his lie. And many Christians today are buying into a deception. People say, What difference does a, a day make? All days are are alike. With God, all days are not alike. One day was blessed by God, the seventh. One day was sanctified by God, set aside the seventh day. And God rested on only one day, the Sabbath. Issues that we're dealing with are issues of authority, issues of obedience. Our choice is the Bible or tradition. It's Jesus or religious leaders. It's God's laws or man's dogmas. God's instruction or human teaching. God's way or man's way. And God says to you and to me tonight, Joshua 24 verse 15, Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, can you say tonight, yes, I choose Jesus. I choose... Sorry about that. I choose to let Him live out His life of obedience through me. Now the question is sometimes asked, are you suggesting that everyone who keeps Sunday is lost? Let me make it plain. 
Everybody who keeps Sunday is not lost. There are many Sunday-keeping Christians who love Jesus Christ. They're living up to all the light that they know. And when they learn more, they are willing to follow it. As Jesus reveals more to them, they want to follow Jesus supremely, wholly, surrendered to Him. All over the world, tens of thousands are hearing God's call and stepping out for His truth. Friends, would you like to say tonight, Yes, Lord, you have revealed your truth. And like Joshua, I choose to follow you. I want to follow Jesus today. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to step out of the crowd. He's calling you to follow Him. He's calling you to obey Him, to surrender to Him. And He's appealing to you to accept His Word and His Word alone as the basis of your faith. Tonight, we're going to have an opportunity to express to Jesus what is in our heart regard, regards, in regards to following Him. My friends are going to give you a decision card. They're going to give you a card that you can fill out. We'll go through it together. Jesus is calling us tonight to follow Him. He's calling us to surrender to Him. We're going to go through this card together. Put your name up at the top. And you can select those which are on your heart. No one will look at your card except for you and me. When you turn it in, just fold it over. But let's go through it together. Number one, I love Jesus and want to follow Him completely. If that's you, put a check right there. Number two, it is clear from the Bible that the seventh day of the week, Saturday, is the true Bible Sabbath and is a sign of His power as Creator and Redeemer. Check that if you agree with that, if it's clear to you. Number three, in loving response to Jesus, I desire to keep all of God's commandments by His grace through faith, including the fourth, to keep the Sabbath holy. Check that if you agree with that. Number four, I would like more study material on the Sabbath. Check that if, you, if that's you. And then number five, I have a question, Bible question regarding the Sabbath. And you can write that on the back. Okay? Maybe we didn't make everything quite clear. Maybe you have some questions that are lingering. Write that on the back. And um, you, know, you can check all of these if you want. You know, you're not limited to only checking one. But make sure your name is on there. And then fold it over and pass it to the middle. And uh, my friends are going to, going to pick that up. And we would like to, uh, remember no one's going to see this except for me and, and you. And I've been scheduling people to come and visit uh, with me or me going over to their, to their house to visit. 
So if you would like that, to if you'd like to come and visit, talk to either me or or Greg, and uh, we'll we'll try to s schedule that for uh, Sunday afternoon. Or you can come in early, and uh, and we can visit. Maybe go through some of your questions, or uh, and just kind of see where you're at uh, with all of that. All right, let's uh, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to study this evening, to study from your word. Lord, I just thank you because uh, you've given me your grace this evening. And you've given it to all of us. Lord, thank you for making the Bible clearer to us each night as we go on. Bring us back tomorrow to study together. Prepare us for your soon coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so don't forget.